This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Del Big Tree, it's a great pleasure to have you joining me in the trenches. How is the war on your side of the world? You know, um, I, I think in many ways, I, I'd like to report that I think we've won the initial battle uh, here in America and ultimately around the world, though we're not feeling it everywhere. Australia, uh, still, you know, Canada, France, places, Austria feeling uh, severe oppression. I think when we look at the United States of America as a global leader, uh, by and large, we've resisted this vaccine. We've resisted these mandates uh, in many of our most powerful states, Florida and Texas, never have really sub you know, been submitting to uh, those draconian measures. And because of that, I think they're in a retreat now. I think more and more science is stepping up, showing that the COVID vaccines uh, were not only ineffective, they may be increasing the risk of infection and ultimately increasing risks of death as we look into the future. All of this is coming to light. Mainstream media is even starting, just starting to report on some of these things, which, and then, you know, I think ultimately, you know, we just saw um, uh, sort of an intel inside of the Democratic Party. They're all saying to themselves here in the United States of America, the Democrats being, if you're on an international space, Democrats being the ones that really decide the government that really sort of supported these draconian measures, they're now saying to each other, we better get away from this. We better open up this country, get away from these mandates, or we are going to lose handily in the elections this year. I think that's the best sign that clearly this battle has been won. Now, the war is still out there, a mm -hmm. war over control of our bodies, the tracking systems, this dangerous, you know, cabal or merger, if you will, of pharmaceutical interests and technology interests and, and banking. All of those things are quite scary and we have a lot of work to do on that front. But we took out the lead spear here. In the end, I think this vaccine will go down in, in history as a failure. I believe these lockdowns are now proving from almost every decent scientific perspective to have only been detrimental with almost mm. uh, no benefits. So all of these things will be written in the history books. We are currently, though, still sort of under the clouds that have not quite yet parted for us to feel that sun beating down on us that I think is in our future. So what you're saying is that we are on the right side of history. I have no doubt that we are on the right side of history. And um, I've been very confident about that from the very beginning uh, of the, the sort of the reporting we've been doing. Uh, never before have we seen such uh, powerful decorated scientists breaking from the narrative, the mainstream narrative, which is really media based, not medicine based, you know. And so mm -hmm. I think the greatest scientists in the world have been against these lockdowns, these measures from the beginning, have been supporting the use of repurposed drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and many others showing their success in their own clinics. All of those things, I think, will ultimately show that those of us that were supporting the science and, and not the scientism being delivered by government agencies around the world will have found themselves on the right side of history. You, Dell, are one of the most censored, most deleted people on the internet. <laughs> Why is that? Yes. Well, in fact, you're probably at risk by having me on if you do broadcast <laughs> on YouTube or Facebook. I'm holding you know, thumbs. It, it, but, but the truth is, is oftentimes when I do, you know, other people's, um, you know, podcasts and things like that, they use YouTube as their player. But as soon as we're done, they pull it down, archive it, and then put it out on Rumble and other places they know that won't censor them. I'm just saying it because that's my existence, yeah. right? I'm that guy that everyone wants to take a picture with but are afraid to post that picture just because of the repercussions uh, that might come upon them. Um, it's, a, it's an odd and strange place to find yourself, especially when all you do is really just uh, <laughs> reveal the truth as it, as it exists in science and around the world. But I'm used to it. And in many ways, to be honest, I chose this fight. I picked this fight. Mm. Um, and so it's for me to deal with those consequences. I'm not complaining about it. Very early on, uh, when I was involved with Vaxxed, which was the documentary that sort of catapulted me into the middle of this conversation 
Previously, I had been working at CBS. I won an Emmy Award for being a producer on the daytime talks for the doctors. Before that, I was a producer on the Dr. Phil show. So I have a strong background in this weird niche of, of science and, and media and television. But when I embarked on Vaxxed, you know, um, it was clear that that was going to be controversial and really would, um, you know, set its crosshairs on the mainstream uh, medicine narrative. And it's interesting, as I was, you know, working on that film for about a year, we were just about to release it to Tribeca Film Festival, where we had been accepted. Uh, and I had a group of producers and friends get together in Hollywood to watch the film, to give me any last minute notes or thoughts that they might have on it. And after the screening, the actor, Isai Morales, said to me, uh, Dell, the film is brilliant. He said, but I will be honest, there have been other really great films on this conversation of vaccines, including Greater Good and Bought and Trace Amounts, all films that everybody should watch out there. Uh, he said, but they always get buried. Like, they just don't see the light of day. They can't get in the theaters. You know, it's just so how do you plan on getting vaccine in an environment where it's just so oppressive? And I said, well, I have a different view than those filmmakers. Most of those filmmakers interviewed Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who I know has been on your show. Uh, and I said, and usually those films will ultimately make the decision to take Andy Wakefield out of those documentaries because they believed him to be too controversial and that he brings bad press. I've actually heard these quotes. And I said, therefore, they opted to get no press. I said, on the other hand, uh, I am using the opposite technique. I believe that, you know, in an old adage that came from marketing, which is there's no such thing as bad press. And because mm -hmm. of that, I told Isai in that meeting, not only is Andy Wakefield going to appear in this film, we are going to celebrate that Dr. Andrew Wakefield is the director of this film. And I said, because of that, I believe the pharmaceutical industry and the mainstream narrative will be so infuriated, they will go against their best interest and attack us with every weapon in media that they have. And that is my plan. By doing that, they will announce us to the world, give us all the free advertising we could ever dream of, and suddenly the world will know that there are people that do not believe in this vaccine program, and here is the science behind their questions. And that's exactly what happened. We ended up, my first step into censorship happened the moment that film came out of the gate, being mm -hmm. accepted by Tribeca Film Festival. Then once they announced it, all the media, as I had predicted, attacked uh, the, the festival, saying, how could you allow this film to air there? You must censor these people. They're going to get people killed. Uh, and it worked. They ended up withdrawing us from Tribeca, which catapulted us. Then the conversation in all of media was all about how they'd censored us. And all around the world, people were wondering, what is this film that has been censored? And Vaxxed ended up being really, I would say, an iconic film of this movement. I've even, by the way, was called by the Academy of Motion Pictures and sciences in uh, in the United States of America, the biggest library of films. And they said, Dell, we would lock, like a copy of this film because you have reached, I guess, what they consider a cult status, which yeah. is this film has done things and attracted an audience like no other film has in the world. So that was the beginning. It was the beginning of censorship. And I say that because it was also a part of my plan. So even though I would love to have a YouTube channel, I would love to have a Facebook channel, it, the writing was always on the wall. Luckily, I held on to those platforms long enough to develop the audience, you know, a core audience that saw what we're doing, yeah. was sharing with everyone they know. And I told them it is imminent. At any moment, we're going to be cut. Please recognize it's going to take a wee bit little more effort on your part to watch us in the future. You're actually going to have to type in www.thehighwire.com. Now, I know most of mainstream media and mainstream medicine thought that people would never go that far to stand up and listen to the truth and stand up for their rights. But as it turns out, I think we now have over six million people typing those letters into their website every single week to watch our show and our audience. Why, Why is there so much censorship? It feels like we back to the, the, the witch burning mobs. Yes. I think these this will go down in history very much the same way as witch trials or any other ridiculous moment in history. 
Um, I think that ultimately the playbook is always the same. I know we mm. expect that humanity evolves, but in the end, you know, human beings regress into that same prehistoric, almost, you know, uh, Neanderthalic approach, which is if you can't win, fight. If you can't fight, then destroy, uh, censor, remove power. I mean, all these things have always been there. We want to kill our opponent instead of understand them. And so ultimately, this is just a result of the other side, that mainstream narrative losing. If they were winning, I mean, look, they have all the power of every television set in the world. Tribeca proved that they even have control over the film festivals and the film industry. They literally have the newspapers, the filming, every single piece of media available to them. And yet they still lost this battle to people like you and people like me. We have gone from three to five percent of people in America uh, skipping a vaccine or questioning vaccines to now more than 50 percent of America are saying they've lost confidence in the vaccine program. Uh, most of that, I think, is because of the mainstream narrative, because of big pharma and big tech and uh, big entertainment suppressing our story. All we were was people out there giving our perspective. By suppressing it, you gave us attention. You made people pay attention, and therefore they created this monster. But it's no different. We've, we've seen this in Roman empires. Every empire that falls ultimately after it's lost the confidence of the people, what does it do? It starts trying to censor those that the people are now listening to. And every single time in history, that is proof that you're in the last chapter of that regime. Every single time the censorship happens the moment before the regime falls. So I think we should see it as a positive development and affirmation that we are truly winning this and that history will be ours momentarily. It's like that World War diktat. Uh, if you're getting flack, you're over the target. That's it. That's exactly right. <laughs> Del, um, so you, you're very much into filmmaking. Um, for those who don't know your background, uh, would you mind just elaborating a bit on it? Yeah, so I touched on it a little bit. I was mm. a producer at the CBS Talks of the Doctors. I got an inside, I mean, I was, you know, I'm always producing shows, always looking for new information. I had an inside source reach out to me and say, uh, there's a whistleblower inside the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, that is going to say that they're committing scientific fraud on the vaccine safety studies, and specifically a study of the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine that was done um, in 1990 to 1994. Wait, is that right? 2000 to 2004? Oh, my God. I'm like, well, 2000 to 2004. My bad. There's so many numbers now and dates floating around. So 2000 to 2004 is when the study was done. And this whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson, um, was coming forward and saying, I have proof, I have 10,000 documents that will show you what we saw in the study of autism and the MMR vaccine, the specific study done at that time, and what we threw out. They, it's, it's scientific fraud to you know, sort of have a study plan, a protocol already designed. That's how you design it. And then if you have to stick to those guidelines, when you start changing guidelines midway through a study, start removing people from the study, then you're trying to manufacture results instead of accepting the results that you're seeing. That is the scientific fraud at the heart of Vaxxed from cover up to catastrophe. That documentary um, I got to be a part of, and it's a really long and fascinating story I won't get into, but the truth is, is I was tipped off to the story. I pitched it to the, the, the network CBS and the show I was working on. They didn't want to go anywhere near it because our sponsors, you know, were companies like Merck that makes the MMR vaccine. And so <laughs> you don't want to piss off the hand, you know, bite the hand that feeds you, if you will. Uh, the CDC was also directly involved. This was fraud inside the CDC, maybe the most powerful uh, health agency in the world. Um, and so the, there wasn't a desire for a conflict with them either. And so I ultimately, you know, through an amazing set of circumstances, I wanted to make a documentary. And then someone introduced me to Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who had already been working on that whistleblower story, unbeknownst to me for over a year. And so I got involved and said, well, let me take a look at what you've got going on here. And when I saw it, I realized that 
all of the information was there for probably the most important documentary of all times. All it needed was sort of the spit, shine, and polish that I've been doing for over a decade in television. I knew how this story sort of needed to be unfolded for people to really be understand, able to understand it. It could be very complex uh, if you didn't handle it right. And so Andy brought his expertise and that medical background. I brought the sort of media background and understanding the audience. And together we spent another year you know, molding Vax into the film that I think many will now argue mm. Uh, sort of ignited the the medical freedom movement around the world, and so that film um, is is the the sort of the pinnacle of that conversation for me. I was in TV. I made that film. Out of that, um, you know, I was traveling the country with the film, and we were getting bomb threats at theaters and kicked out of theaters, and that sort of it was amazing. I mean, really, when we talk about media, if we want to get in the weeds for a second. Again, yeah. the mistake that our opponents made, you know, a documentary, let's all be honest, not a lot of people watch documentaries. And if you, you know, usually you'll go into a festival, you'll win a bunch of awards, and then you'll get what's called an art house release here in America. That's sort of those small side theaters that will yeah. take on the little artsy films that will run for one weekend and then it'll go away. So normally you're lucky if your documentary is in maybe 12 theaters across the country. It'll run for one weekend. If it does good in a couple of cities, they might hold it over for a second weekend. And then it's gone. It's out. And then you dream that somehow someone will go and brush the dust off of it in some, you know, video store and decide to take a look at it. But instead, because of the attack on the film, we weren't able to get that sort of natural art house release that would have been 12 theaters. Instead, we had to fight one theater at a time. And a lot of it happened because people would say we're so desperate to see what this controversial censored film was about. They started going to their own theaters, talking to the owners and say, we really want to see this film. They got letter writing campaigns. And so one theater at a time, we would get a call and say, next Saturday, this theater in California is going to screen your film for two nights. And, and then after that, in four days, San Francisco. And so we ended up having this really slow rollout that lasted a whole year. We just traveled to each new theater that was deciding to finally screen it. And so whereas the media around this film would have lasted two weeks max, it ended up being a year of us in the news, local newspapers. This film has come to town. It's like the circus traveling and it expanded the visibility and the, the news around our film. And so while we were doing that, we ended up buying a bus that said Vax on the side of it. And people started signing the names of their injured children or, or themselves or people who had died from vaccination. Uh, to this date, that that bus now sits on my property here uh, on the work that I do. And it's a it's a memorial to so many that have been injured and had their lives destroyed by the vaccine. But while we were doing that, you know, we were having people come up after the film and saying, I want to tell my story. I want to tell my story of vaccine injury. So we started rolling cameras. We have thousands of interviews mm -hmm. of vaccine injury and parents. And what I recognized was though our film was only about the MMR vaccine and specifically autism, one study, our interviews were revealing that every single vaccine in the childhood schedule in America had injured and killed people. Well, you know, people say my child died right after a flu shot. My daughter was paralyzed for life after receiving her Gardasil HPV vaccine. And it wasn't just one story. There was many similarities, many athletes being paralyzed by Gardasil. I still don't know what that connection is yet. I heard it many times. And so because of that, I decided there's more to this story than just the MMR vaccine that's the center of vaxxed. There appears to be an issue with the safety of all these vaccines. I want to investigate that. And so I started my own nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network. I hired an attorney, Aaron Siri, who I believe is the greatest constitutional trial attorney in the world. I think he's going to go down in history. And we used him to start suing government agencies. Why did we sue government agencies? Well, in America, uh, liability for vaccine injuries is protected by our government. You can't sue the manufacturer yeah. of a vaccine for injury from the, the vaccine. You can't sue the hospital. You can't sue the doctor. Everyone is protected, which creates this really dangerous scenario where you have a product that doesn't have to be properly tested for safety because those that are going to make money off of it cannot be sued. But working with Aaron, we realized 
Well, our government then took on the responsibility. Let's sue them and see if we can't get the information from them. And so we've won lawsuits against the National Institute of Health, Health and Human Services, CDC, the FDA. And while doing that, I realized, well, it's true. This is not being announced by mainstream media. How are we going to let people know what we're discovering in these lawsuits? And that led to the High Wire, which is my weekly uh, media show uh, and educational program. And that was, you know, if we media is not going to cover us, then let's become the media so that right. we can express this information. And so that's how it all came together. Why vaccines? What is what is your particular history with vaccines? Well, my particular history may not exactly be why I find myself in this situation, but my personal history is I was not vaccinated as a child. Now, people will hear that and they say, well, you had an axe to grind or something. And the truth is, is that I just never really thought about it. It's how I was raised. I kind of had those hippie parents that marched in the 60s and grew up with all sorts of, you know, macrobiotic diets and, you know, different <laughs> rules, no sugar, no candy, no chips in my house. And so I was kind of just that weird kid who had parents that really believed in being like uber healthy. Um, and so I modified some of that growing up. But in the end, I just hadn't really thought about the issue until I was working on the doctors and I had I just had my own child. And really, I decided with my own kid, well, I mean, vaccines weren't necessary for me. Why would they be necessary for my child? My wife and I had some discussions about it. We started looking at some of the science and made that decision. And then right at the same time where this whistleblower is being brought to my attention, um, there's a law on, in California that was written called SB 277 by this, this Senator Richard Pan that essentially was going to say it's illegal to have your child uh, be unvaccinated. And essentially, if your child is going to go to a public or private school, they're going to be vaccinated or they will be denied that education that my tax uh, money is paying for. And Gee. I just thought in that moment, oh, you got to be kidding me. So you're basically saying that the way I was raised is going to be illegal here in the United States of America. That lit the fire underneath me. Um, I would have probably let it all go except the idea that, you know, even if I had changed my mind, that people were not going to be able to raise their kids the way I was raised. That just didn't seem right. We live in a free country. You should be allowed to raise your children however you see fit, make the medical decisions that you see. And so that's what really sort of engaged me and wanted me to get involved in the conversation. And then really simply, when I met Andy and I flew myself into Austin, Texas to go and look at the documentary that he had been working on, I will tell you that I sat there and he put a stack of papers next to me, you know, the 10,000 documents that I was looking through. And I just thought, this is the biggest news story in my lifetime. Hands down, yeah. what is here is going to prove to be the biggest news story of all times. And so in many ways, it's just, you know, journalism. You know, I remember saying to Andy, you're sure nobody else is telling this story. Like, I mean, I knew I was going to trash my TV career making this film, but that didn't matter to me. What mattered was competition. How much competition is there in the arena to tell this story? Because this is an amazing story. I just want to make sure that we're the ones leading it and that we get to take credit for it when we break it. And he said, I'm telling you, no one else will go near this story. And so I said, I'm in. Um, I am sure that this is going to rock the world and it is going to make a significant impact on our conversations around vaccines as it should. And so that's what really got me into it. Science demands that we do. That is literally the, the foundation of science called the scientific method is ask every single question you can think of. Never stop asking questions that come up in your mind because the science might be wrong. It might be off. And if it's wrong, we could make errors that could lead to catastrophes and the loss of untold amounts of living beings. The scientific method demands that we ask questions. And to live in an era where we would be told that the question is what is dangerous, that is horrifying. 
It's terrifying. And if we continue to hold that type of value system, it is only a matter of time before what I call scientism, which is a faith-based religion in scientific experts, not the scientific method that uses challenge and a gauntlet that you have to go through to prove that your theory or your product holds up. Um, that scientism will be the death of us. Ultimately, if we continue to release pharmaceutical products through an emergency use authorization so they never have proper safety trials, if this vaccine is not our doom, something in the future will be. We cannot allow that to be the approach towards science and medicine. But when I look back at the last hundred years, that book you're talking about, Dissolving Illusions, is the best book to read. It is... Um, it answers the question we always get. Well, what about polio? Or what about smallpox? Uh, if you want the answers to that, we could do this for hours. Go and read the book. Uh, but ultimately, I think you're right. I think that my perspective now is that um, I think vaccines come the idea of it. You know, Edward Jenner uh, decided to scrape pus out of a, of a, you know, a cow and put it into the, you know, a scratch in someone's yeah. arm. Uh, had good intentions, as <laughs> disgusting as it may be. Um, and, but it always had bad side effects. And, th and this is what is interesting about this conversation. Sure, there are people that when given cowpox, as, as this all starts out, let's take the pus. I mean, very quickly, I mean, just for people to understand it, what the, the, the origin of vaccines is Edward Jenner notices smallpox is sweeping around, but the milkmaids that are milking the cows, they never get smallpox. Why is that? He investigates it. He realizes that their hands get all cut from milking cows, and he recognizes that a, you know, a... Um, relative to smallpox is cowpox. These cows would have pox, but they would still be milking them. It didn't kill them. And he thought maybe it's their interaction with cowpox that is somehow creating a protection against smallpox. And thus, he started lining people up, scraping the pus out and slapping it into a wound he created. Mm. And that was the first vaccine. Now, what people don't want to talk about is one of his first experiments was on his own son. Um, Edward Jenner's son and the neighbor were the first two he tried it on. No one wants to talk about the fact that that son, who's a young child when he's first, you know, given the, the, the cowpox, ends up being described historically as uh, retarded, um, unable to, you know, put words together, a sense of madness, uh, and he dies in his early 20s. I think the question could be asked, I'm not stating it unequivocally, was that our first case of autism? Was that issue, that, that uh, handicap, nature that he had was that brought on by the vaccine these are things that i think over time if we were honest we would start looking into that question more clearly yeah. beyond that polio ended up having major side effects all of this discussed in in dissolving illusions but polio caused polio for people that got the vaccine i mean it was a known side effect that you could get polio from the vaccine and it could kill you later on we recognized that the vaccine had been contaminated with uh, sv40 a simian retrovirus 40 that caused millions of people to get cancer and so there's always been this negative underbelly to the science but i think what happened was those that were working on it, edward jenner and, and salk and these guys that really believed this was the future to medicine that we could avoid disease if we could inoculate you ahead of time perfectly noble mm. but they had a problem this product only works if essentially everyone takes it and everyone's not going to take it unless mm. it sounds very positive and so Whereas every other disclaimer and every commercial we ever watch about drugs says 10 cause, you know, like this list of rashes, anal leakage and whatever other nasty thing you would think you would never want from the drug. That list of side effects was removed from vaccinations like a yeah. century ago. They decided, you know what, we need everyone to take it. So while we recognize we have real dangerous, deadly side effects, of these products, we can't let the public know that. So let's put a smiley face on this, tell everybody it's safe and effective, while behind the scenes, we will do the work to fix this product. And I, this is all my own theory, by the way. I think that what happened was you had a generation or two, Salk ended up apologizing for the people he knows died because of the use of his vaccine. Early on, there was apologies by these, these pioneers of this industry. But what happened is that smiley face, that outlook that is perfectly safe and effective, 
really the pharmaceutical industry was making so much money, they started funding that as the central tenant of the textbooks that our doctors were getting. So our doctors became just as um, yeah. uh, naive as the population being told they're perfectly safe and effective and not trained to continue to figure out how to work out these deadly side effects. And so then the market took off, the industry took off. Then in the 1980s, the industry had so much money, they essentially blackmailed our government, said, we don't even want liability from this, take away liability, then we can make even more vaccines. And so we ended up with this culture that has this religious belief that vaccines are perfectly effective. And that religion started a century ago as they were trying to just get people to believe in it. And now COVID is proof of how that religion is getting us killed. It's almost as if you can redo vaxxed right now because now you've got mRNA technology, which sounds fantastic, but it has a terrible history. Yeah, that documentary is going to be coming out. Um, I'm I'm working. uh, It's not I'm not producing it, but I'm working with the people that are. um, And uh, so that'll be announced any minute now. It's going to be very powerful because it's true. Though vaxxed, I think, set a template for what had happened then Mm. and was really asking questions of what does our future look like? if We don't remedy this issue. We are now living that future where we didn't remedy that issue. And so I think the the documentary that's that'll be releasing in the next I think month or two uh, is going to lay that out as clearly uh, as clearly as I have I think in the now um, uh, 256 episodes of the High Wire. Uh, but we're going to condense that down. For those of you that don't want to sit through thousands of hours of information, a documentary is on the way. I'm struggling to find one single vaccine ever that has been safe and effective. You know, that was the same struggle that we brought to the National Institute of Health, essentially. Um, In our research, as I said, and remember, a lot of this is anecdotal. People say it's Mm. anecdotal, these stories of people who, you know, have an injury right after a vaccine. They feel like it's a temporal occurrence. It happened within a time that they assume. But medicine always says it's not true. They're not related. Mm. And when I started looking at it, you know, you can say that like lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place, but when you see it strike over and over and over again in a similar pattern, in a similar place, you've got to change that determination. And that's where we're at. These vaccine injuries, it's not one in a million. It's not so incredibly random. It's happening all the time. Uh, and the, the descriptions of them are, you know, happening all the time. And our capture systems Here in America, we have VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. Those reports are going into that system every year. Four or 500 people are being listed as having died after vaccination. Um, And that system, when it's investigated by independent researchers, VAERS has proven by a great study by Harvard, they looked into it and said it appears VAERS is capturing less than 1% of the actual amount of injuries. So if four or 500 deaths is only 1%, you know, we're talking 50,000 deaths a year. And so, and now with COVID, remember that's four or 500 deaths listed on VAERS for every vaccine we use COVID is now topping above 20,000 reports of death on VAERS from that one vaccine in just one year. That one vaccine in one year has more death reports compiled than every vaccine we've given together over the last 30 years. There is Houston. We have a problem. That is a major, (laughs) major problem. And so, you know, when we went to the National Institute of Health to sort of round this up, i Robert Kennedy Jr. gave me a call, one of the great statesmen of this movement. I hope one day he's president of the United States. I've had the opportunity to both consider him a colleague and a friend. Uh, one of those things I still pinch myself after meeting with, with Robert Kennedy and think, wow, I mean, the fact that you've got that guy on speed dial uh, is amazing. Yeah. But uh, he called me. He had a meeting set up by Donald Trump at the National Institute of Health. It was at a time where there was this flash in the media that Robert Kennedy Jr. had met with Donald Trump very early into his presidency, and they discussed starting a vaccine safety commission, you know, reintroducing the scientific method to vaccines. We know that the CDC and the FDA believe in this 
completely. But we wanted scientists involved that maybe didn't believe it. They wouldn't be afraid to challenge it. And by the way, if that belief, that belief still holds up after scrutiny, you know, from scientists, then we can say it's safe. That's how the scientific method works. Let us hit it with everything we've got. If it holds strong, then we know it's safe. Well, after that, that commission didn't come together, but a meeting was set up at the National Institute of Health, which is the most funded uh, medical body uh, government agency in America. Under that is NIAID that Tony Fauci runs. So NIH is sort of in control of all that. We went to that meeting. We brought all of our concerns. And right across from me, it was the first time, really, I, I had heard of Anthony Fauci, but he wasn't the Anthony Fauci we know now. He was sitting right across from me, as far as you are on this laptop from me. Uh, next to me, Robert Kennedy was sitting. Uh, Francis Collins was across from him. And then there was like 10 other luminaries from our uh, virology and science departments in America. And we had scientists and lawyers and specialists on our side. So it was this giant meeting, but we posed a similar question. We said to them, we can't find a single double-blind placebo study, and by placebo I mean an inert substance in a control group, we can't find the gold standard of safety studies on any of the childhood vaccines that we give, that, that, that were a part of the licensing process. Yeah. Um, Bobby Kennedy did all the presenting, we had put the questions together, and he said, now we have a question. Is it that the science is not being done, that you're not using the gold standard of a placebo-based study, or is it just happening in a trial that's not being published for the public? Which is it? And I remember somebody at the end of the table said, of course we do, you know, randomized control studies with vaccines. They're just done in very early phases before it's published for the public. And Robert Kennedy said, Oh, well, that's great. That's why we're here. We're here at the National Institute of Health, where all of this is archived. We're representing the public. So please bring to us those studies and those documents so that we can take them back to the public and say, here it is. They were done. We did use the scientific method. And there was silence. There was this. It was funny. I, I interviewed Pierre Corey a minute ago. When we asked to see those documents, the room just went silent for a very long period of time. <laughs> And finally, Tony Fauci chimed in and he said, we don't do placebo studies on vaccines because it would be unethical. Oh, I'll never word. forget that. It would be unethical. And then Francis Collins was like, yeah, that's right. It, it's unethical to, to, to do placebo studies on vaccines. Now, to explain that is to explain why I see this as a religion. Essentially... Yeah. Our government has such a religious belief in the greatness of vaccines that it refuses to do proper safety studies that would challenge that. So even a brand new vaccine like Gardasil was, it was the first attempt at a cancer vaccine that could maybe, you was know, a disaster. Uh, it is a disaster, but mm -hmm. they didn't have a proper placebo group. They didn't, you know, they didn't want, they would say it's unethical to have a group of girls that aren't getting this great life-saving measure. Well, how do you know it's not life-saving or it's life-saving, not life-ending without a placebo group you can compare it to? So anyway, that was the answer we got. And we took it one step further. We said, okay, so you're afraid of doing a prospective study, the proper science, you know, to prospectively hold a group out, give them a saline injection and compare them. Well, what about a retrospective study? If vaccines are so great, this is what we said to them. And this is this holds true. I will I will stop my conversation. I will you know hang up my gloves as it will if this was answered. We said the CDC is sitting on a database of 10 million people. Their IDs have been wiped off of it, but this is used for research. We are tracking 10 million people in America. There's tens of thousands of unvaccinated individuals and all their medical records in your database. Why won't you, if you're afraid to do a prospective study because it would be unethical to deny this product from your, your, your control group, then do a retrospective study that have already made their own choices that's already in your database. Take the vaccinated group and compare them to the unvaccinated group. Remember, we have computer learning now. The United States of America is the home of Microsoft and Apple. We clearly have computers that do this on a daily basis. In fact, this study, a comparative study, could be done in a matter of minutes. And just take both groups and ask very simple questions. Of these two groups, as a percentage, who had more cases of cancer? Who had more cases of autism? 
Who had more cases of ADD, ADHD? Who had more cases of asthma and Tourette's syndrome and multiple sclerosis? All of these things that are on this incredible, unexplainable rise right now in modern society. And we said, just do that study. And you know what they said? We will never do that study. Because they know. They know. I mean, everyone said to me, well, I'm saying, no, no, no. That means to me, they have done that study. They have done that study every way and sideways. And no matter how they <laughs> cut that, it comes out bad for them. That's the I'm only explanation. I know I'm projecting that, but it doesn't make sense. You would literally shut me up today. With, and, you know, I'm on lists like the dirty dozen list of misinformation. Robert Kennedy Jr. We would have no foot to stand on in this world if you could present a document that took large bodies of people and said, we looked at the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And as it turns out, the vaccinated are healthier, have less autoimmune disease, have less neurological disorders and live longer. This conversation would be over. And they know that. And if they want this conversation over, don't you think they've done that study if they thought they could prove it? Of course they have. And if you haven't seen that study, there's a reason. So what's going on behind the scenes? Are there backhanders? Is the pharmaceutical industry driving this? I think that's a huge part of it. The pharmaceutical industry is the most powerful lobby in the United States of America, which leads me to believe it's the most powerful lobby around the world. Our politicians around the world cannot get enough advertising, cannot get their television ads, cannot compete with who they're running against unless they invite pharmaceutical funding into their campaigns. And that's true all around the world. So pharma is essentially buying our government. It owns major players in our government, and therefore it places into our health agencies, our regulatory agencies, by demand, we want this person to be the head of the CDC. That person oftentimes ran or Pfizer or was a head at Merck. So we are taking individuals that have huge conflicts of interest and putting them as our watchdogs. They're supposed to be guarding us against those conflicts of interest. This is happening all around the world. And it's why it has been so easy for this pandemic to have this sort of one voice approach through every government. Doesn't matter whether you are a communist, whether you are a socialist, whether you are a republic, uh, whatever, if you're a dictatorship, somehow the, the, the slogan has been the same in every single one of our nations. That shows you how powerful lo this lobby is and how much it's infiltrated every government in the world. They're going to lose because they're not even being reasonable. They're treating people like we're stupid. Nobody is stupid enough to believe that nobody has died from a vaccine, especially, especially a vaccine that from, you know, from the moment it left the gates, they said, oops, there's a couple of problems we've just noticed. One of them being anaphylaxis. Everyone knows this conversation happened. It's why they changed the protocol around the world to you had to wait in the waiting room for 15 minutes after your vaccine versus just showing up and leaving because people were having this anaphylactic immune response, right? Mm. A total allergic response. How does anaphylaxis end many times if there's not a doctor standing there? Death. So you're telling me you're giving a product to I think over a billion people around the world, you know it causes anaphylaxis, but there's no way a single one of those cases of anaphylaxis led to death. Come on. We're smarter yeah. than that. Be reasonable with people. And then maybe we would trust you a little bit. And, and this is one of the problems. And it's why I think people have been hoodwinked. I think they, first of all, believe this sort of uh, religious platitude or commandment, if you will, thou shalt not question vaccines all vaccines are safe and effective. And so they mm -hmm. went with that mantra again. Yet this vaccine is like no other vaccine that has ever been made before. Many would argue it's not a vaccine at all. It's a gene therapy. It's a gene splicing tool. Um, and what people need to realize is every vaccine prior to this vaccine, we inject a little bit of virus or bacteria attenuated or killed into your body, usually your arm, and that existence of a structure, our, and our body sees an immune system and it creates antibodies to fight it. And though it is an attenuated version of the virus or killed, we have shown that it can you know, have some long-term protection against those illnesses. It has never been lifelong. 
uh, like catching the virus itself. It's never achieved what natural immunity from catching a virus has, but it has been the best attempt that we can make. Uh, and, but this is a totally different approach. This is not injecting a virus or bacteria in some form. This is a code. Essentially, it's like a computer code or a recipe, if you will. What we've done is injected a message that is normally sent from our DNA to our cells, telling our cells what to do to protect the body. In this case, we've inserted an artificial message that goes to every one of our cells, or at least a large body of our cells, billions, they argue, billions of your cells receive this message and that message tells the cell gives them the recipe how to make the virus and turns our own cells into a virus manufacturing plant to be more specific and get a little bit more in the weeds not the whole virus but just the spike protein the most toxic and deadly part of the virus now that on its on its surface right there goes against what we usually think about a vaccine. You usually target a weaker, um, less important part of the virus that if I can knock out the tires, if you will, I can take out the tank and I don't have to worry about it. We've never gone and taken the deadly weapon of the virus and made that the vaccine. It makes no sense. Should the vaccine not work correctly and that starts proliferating the body, you now have the weapon all through your body, the, the toxic element. Yet that's exactly what this vaccine does. This vaccine teaches your cells to make the deadly part of the virus and not just like a million, it's like billions. They brag about how yeah. much your cells are creating it. And there's real questions on whether your cells will stop making that um, deadly toxic uh, spike protein that is now being found in the brains of children, uh, in their livers, in their hearts, in the ovaries of young girls. It's proliferating everywhere. So what are going to be the long-term consequences of taking that, that terrifying spike protein we're afraid of and helping it multiply in the body through injection? It's absolute insanity. How they expected it to work is, is sort of shocking to think that they even thought this was a good idea, but that's what's happening. We are turning our bodies into virus manufacturing plants. And it's strange to me because people like Robert Malone and Mike Eden have been completely silenced and censored. Uh, why is the word vaccine so protected well, in my experience, through my investigation, it's always been a question. And I think it's because there's, there's several reasons. Number one, vaccines, as they say themselves, is the greatest invention of the 20th century. That by inventing vaccines, they took their first step towards really godlike powers, which is we're going to beat Mother Nature at their own game. We are going to systematically protect ourselves so that we can never get sick in the future. That is sort of the demented concept of those involved with it. And believe yeah. me, we only have 16 or 17 diseases we vaccinate for now, but they have a dream of approaching the millions and billions of viruses and bacteria that put us at risk every day. So imagine what a future looks like if they get their way to try and prevent every illness known to man. I mean, God help us should they get away with that plan. But, you know, that has been the goal, and that's what is trying to be achieved. And as you said earlier, we can't see evidence of one that has ever done that safely. And now this mRNA technology comes along, and you see why they want it to be successful. Because every vaccine takes, you know, years to develop, and oftentimes a year even when we're just using an old recipe for flu, for instance, in order to guess, we have to guess at what the next year's flu is going to be because it's going to take a year to grow that that form of that virus to put in the vaccine. Whereas mRNA technology is as simple as a computer code. We simply need to know the code of the strain that's floating around right now and overnight we can have a vaccine. That is the dream. That's why every nation in the world sunk billions of dollars into this investment, into a future where we can make this overnight vaccines. It's why we skipped out of all the safety trials. No one wants to see if this has long-term effects because that will hurt the industry. And so why vaccines? Vaccines are a pillar of health for modern medicine. They represent the greatest advancement in their minds that modern medicine has ever had. Number two, 
think of it. I mean, one of the biggest lies ever told is this story that vaccines don't make any money. They take a loss with vaccines, right? <laughs> That's what we hear. They would never, why would they manipulate the safety? They don't even need this product. That is so not true. Simply look at the bank accounts of any of these companies now, Pfizer, um, uh, Moderna, for sure. It's the only product they've ever made, making tens of billions of dollars. Merck, at the top of their ledger, now are vaccines. Vaccines are, the, you know, either the second or the first highest grossing product that these companies now make. And so where it might have been true during a chicken pox vaccine decades ago that they didn't make a lot of money on it, that has shifted ever since they took liability away. And we've been hit with all these new and modern vaccines. Now think about the cash cow that it is. You have multiple things. You can't sue the manufacturer if it injures you. You know how much money that saves you? On one hand, I can make drugs where I can be sued every time it hurts somebody. And my commercials and my posters all have to say it can hurt you. Or I have this product that I cannot be sued. Therefore, I don't really even have to go through safety studies. I don't have to make any caveats. I can claim it's the greatest thing ever made. And uh, I save all the money on needing to hire lawsuits. That's, that's number one. Number two. The governments of the world promote this product for me. So I don't even have to pay for advertising. The billions of dollars I'm out there advertising in posters and billboards and magazines and, and, and television spots, every government agency that mandates one of these vaccines, they do that advertising mm. for me. Huge, huge benefit to vaccines. And then lastly, you know, third, um, you know, the biggest issue is that this is a product, unlike drugs. Think about it. Why did we come out against ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine? Well, on the one hand, there's a very small percentage of people that actually die from COVID, about 0.27%. That's the number. I know that's shocking to people that hear that. Yes, we destroyed our lives over a virus that kills 0.27% of those that are infected with it. Okay, less than a quarter of 1%. So, Obviously, we should care about the 0.27%. I'm not heartless. Um, usually, as the elderly over the age of 80. So can you imagine if you have a drug that makes sure you don't die? How about ivermectin that looks like it, it also is a preventative? You don't die. And we just give it to those that are at high risk that are just one in the hospital. That drug is only going to sell to 0.2% of those that get infected. Forget about those that didn't in the body. So it's like 0.000-something percent that would be the market for your drug. On right. the other hand, I've got this product where the slogan is, it only works if everyone yes. on the planet takes it. Okay? Do you see the difference between the financial remunerations of a product that only 0.00% of somebody gets and the product that 7 billion people need to get? And for every single virus, this is the future of pharma. This is how pharma yeah. takes the world multi-trillion dollar investments are being made because we are about to become human pin cushions given every product they say we need to protect ourselves from and the only way to protect ourselves is everybody has everybody. to take it uh, that's why but vaccines Dell, have the you, power that they have so i so far to this point have only stated things that i can prove are the case could we imagine that there are people diabolical enough to give us products that they tell us are safe that have known side effects for which they are creating drugs that handle those side effects? We are now seeing multiple drugs that deal with what? Myocarditis. We are seeing advertisement that heart attacks yeah. while watching TV are normal. You know what I mean? That shoveling <laughs> snow in Iceland could get you killed. I mean, anyone in Iceland that I mean, for all these years, you didn't know you were risking your life. They're normalizing what appear to be the injuries from these products that they're telling everybody to get. Is that also a market for drugs that you will then need to be on the rest of your life? Perhaps. Um, I'm not going to go that far, but it is true. We are seeing a rise in infectious forms of HIV uh, after we have a product that multiple times has been related to HIV. In Australia, they were having false positives for HIV mm. after injection of one of their attempts at a COVID vaccine. There were many scientists that warned us because of the adenovirus vector approach to vaccines. That's the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca 
form of the COVID vaccines. Those forms were used in AIDS research, AIDS vaccines. And what they found was the adenovirus vector, not even with the HIV element in it, the adenovirus vector all on its own increased the risk of developing AIDS for those people that were in their trials. So is it possible that we're using an adenovirus vector vaccine for a bad mm -hmm. cold what coronavirus is that could be leading to an increase in susceptibility to HIV infection? Well, the science is out there and that concern is out there. Only time will tell if that's true. That's just one of multiple issues. Heart medications people are being put on. You know, um, we've seen multiple sclerosis, all these autoimmune diseases. I mean, the number one selling drugs in the world are for autoimmune diseases. Autoimmune diseases that if you talk to your grandparents, Back in their day, they never heard of such a thing, <laughs> yeah. right? These are, these are a modern occurrence, this rise. And to put it clearly, in the 1980s, when we were only giving about 10 vaccines um, to children, by the time they were 18, they'd received about 10 vaccines. The chronic illness rate, which included autoimmune disease and neurological disorders, the chronic illness rate in our children in America was 12%. 12% of our kids in the 1980s were said to have a chronic illness, either neurological or autoimmune disease. When we increased that vaccine program, we took liability away, exploded, became the gold rush. We now give 54 injections, 72 vaccines technically, because some of them have multiple viruses and elements in them, but 54 injections, that increased yes, our uh, autoimmune rate to 54% now of America's children have a chronic illness, an illness they will suffer from their entire lives. 12% to now more than 54%. I am reporting to you that that is the greatest decline in human health in the history of the world as we have recorded it. And it appears to be caused by the supposed life-saving measures that were supposed to be making us healthier. And then, yeah, do you think that there is a, a type of global renaissance, an awakening happening? I do. I think that this is actually a spectacular moment for science. We read about this throughout history, whether it's Galileo, who is under house arrest for suggesting that the earth is not the center of the universe, or uh, Semmelweis, who tells all of his fellow doctors, I believe we need to wa wash our hands between childbirths, between surgeries, that the blood from one person to another is causing these infections we are seeing. He was ridiculed. He was put in an insane asylum. We are watching that happen now, an attack upon the scientific body that does not believe these these lockdowns were correct that believes this vaccine was rushed on the market too early that scientific body is under attack we are all being censored as we've discussed throughout mm -hmm. this time but just as we reflect historically upon Semmelweis I assure you every doctor now washes their hands and everyone that looks up in the sky knows that the sun is the center of our you know universe and what we are revolving around and similarly science will evolve because of this moment where these draconian measures and these moneyed interests that have taken control of our government created so much harm that it was absolutely impossible uh, to avoid or hide from. I think we are going to see carnage at levels. And as these numbers come in, you will not be able to hide. You know, you might hide COVID deaths, but all cause mortality mm. will tell us the truth. We're seeing a 40% rise being discussed by insurance companies here in America, a 40% rise in deaths among the 18 to 49 year olds and they're saying it's not COVID. In Germany, a giant insurance company there just put out a memo to the Germany, to the government and the world saying, we decided to look at all the ICD codes. That's the hospital codes that we are paying out with our insurance company. And we found that uh, out of 11 million of our um, uh, patients, 250,000 were being treated for vaccine injury. That is 10 times the amount that has ever been admitted to by any government. And I assure you, those insurance companies have no desire to pay for injuries that were caused by a mandate that the government forced on their constituents, not them. And so I think you'll see lawsuits. I think this thing is going to come apart at the seams. You're going to have more and more people recognizing that their child or their neighbor or their loved one did not need to die or now has a long life-term injury that appeared right after the vaccination. It's going to be horrific on its face. But in the end, it is that realization and that recognition that we should never have let 
unelected health officials make decisions yeah. for our economies and for the world. I don't think that will ever happen again. And we will also recognize those scientists that dared to challenge the system, that didn't care that their license was under threat. They still gave ivermectin and still gave hydroxychloroquine and proved to have a far lower death rate than all of those peers. Those are the people that we will celebrate. And those are the pioneers that I think will build the new medical system in the future. Those of us that survive this pandemic that survived these experimental products like remdesivir and these vaccines we will we will build that new world and make sure that at least for centuries to come as every you know historically we come back around and we make these mistakes again and rome always builds up and then it falls but i yeah. think we will build that new time that will hold for many many years in the future and i think our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren We'll read in their history books about our generation and this moment. I believe it will be one of the cataclysmic moments for evolution, revolution, uh, and it will be looked upon with glory. And that is what we are part of building right now. Where can people find you? Uh, the best way to find me is just go to thehighwire.com. Please sign up to our newsletter. We never know when we're going to get kicked off one platform or have the internet shut down. We will always email you our show if that's what it takes. I'll send it in the freaking mail if I have to. It'll be delivered on a horse. But either way, we are here every single week. We are going through all the science around the world. I have an international body of scientists. They're at the top of their field. Some of them are visible. Some of them are whistleblowers behind the scenes. I'm working with lawyers all over the world. And I want to make it clear that on the high wire, we're not aiming to tell the story first. I'm not trying to break every story that's out there. Our goal is to make sure that every story we tell that we got it right. And so we are thorough about our investigation. I make sure I have multiple sources and we are completely transparent. We've started what we call the high wire protocol, which is we provide all of the actual physical evidence for every single statement we make on our show. If you are simply on our newsletter, which costs you no money, I never charge you to watch the show. Just go to thehighwire.com. If you're on that newsletter, we do our show on Thursday, 11 a.m. Pacific time in America, and then however it lands around the world, um, after that Thursday show on Monday, we send out links to every single scientific study we referenced, every video, so that you can go through it and come to your own conclusions. People will say, oh, you're cherry picking. Well, if that's the case, then you will be allowed to call that out because I'm <laughs> handing you the entire body of the science that I cherry picked from. Anyone that attempts to attack our credibility, I say, show me how you're adhering to the high wire protocol. Uh, we are totally transparent for anyone that wants to experience science and news uh, on that level. Please mm -hmm. go to thehighwire.com. Del Bigtree, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's been a pleasure. It's always good to be in the trenches with like-minded, <laughs> brave individuals. God bless you, my friend. Take care. My name is Jim. This is Jim Wolfe, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.